The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. How are you? I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Well, I don't know about that. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. You came to the wrong place. So what do I do? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is wonderful advice. This is what I needed to hear. You're right on track with us. You're right on track. Everybody make a mistake. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are the best thing that has ever happened to people. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Remember the question, if a tree falls in the woods and there's nobody there to hear it, does it make a sound? Now, that's a question that they asked in uh, physics, sometimes in philosophy. Well, the answer is, it doesn't make a sound. It moves molecules of air, but those molecules and the way that they they move, I guess, have to be interpreted. There has to be a receiver, whether that's a, well, I was going to say a tape recorder, that's pretty, that's showing my age, whether it's some device that can pick up and interpret the sound, whether it's an ear. Well, there is a counterpart that I ask here on the radio. If Dr. Ray speaks on the radio and there is no one there to hear it, now that could be, you know, will your kid still behave better will your husband pick up his socks once a week and will your mother-in-law confess that you are the best mother she has ever seen that's the question my producer man andrew kruchek who is there on the other end just cut in while i was talking and said i'll hear it which i know is a lie because he doesn't listen half the time. I don't know what he does over there. Does all kinds of editing, all kinds of fancy schmancy stuff. <laughs> he doesn't listen, but he will hear it. Good point. Nice to have you here on The Doctor Is In. This is the Monday variant, which is E-Person Monday. I send out a note to all the folks when I, when I do their particular E-Person. And my talk to text has never and of the hundreds and hundreds of times i have talked to text i've say you know dear so and so i addressed your question on an e-person monday it never ever gets e-person it's each person year person uh every way you can think of except e-person and i pause i stop just doesn't listen so but we'll get to those e-persons momentarily are you boring? Are people boring? You're with somebody and they're on their phone. Or they answer a text. Or they periodically check their phone while you're there. Now, you don't want to think this. And maybe they don't wittingly want to convey that message but what they're really saying is i gotta check to see because this could be more interesting than you i gotta admit i fall prey to that if i'm with somebody and there's a buzz 
in my pocket from the phone, which I put on vibrate, uh, it's it's all I can do to not check it. And I rationalize it by saying, well, you know, it could be somebody in, in distress. It could be somebody that needs something. It could be one of my kids. It could be something that's urgent. 99% of the time it's not. But that's how I kind of rationalize it. But it occurred to me the other day, and I, I see this all the time. I'll go to restaurants, and there'll be two people there, and both of them are on their phone. I'll see a family with two kids, and the adults or the kids or both are on phones or game devices. Essentially, that says what I'm looking at or pursuing or answering on this device is more interesting than you. Oh, you don't want to think that, do you? You don't want to think that's what I'm saying. It is exactly what we're saying. When you have something to say that's more interesting, let me know. I'll look up from my phone. When the phone interrupts, you could be having a a four-minute conversation, carrying on nice back and forth with someone. And then, ding, or whatever signal you put on the phone to let you know something wants your attention. Do you or do you not check it out? The only way you wouldn't check it out is to have that phone somewhere where you can't hear it. A couple of times I checked my phone, a text came in, and I was with a group of people, and I I went to check my phone, and my wife, who is much smarter about these things than I am, just looked at me. When you've been married to somebody a long time, you can read looks. That look said, Raymond... So I stopped. But the interesting thing about the the phone signal that somebody's there, somebody who wants your attention, somebody who may have something better to say, better to look at than the person you're with, that sound, whatever it is that you programmed into your phone, That's a popular sound. Ding! That's a popular sound. That sound evokes in you a response. You are Pavlog's dogs. They salivated to a bell because the bell was paired with food enough times that pretty soon... They didn't need the food to salivate. They just heard the bell. And that was enough. And the optimum time, this is classical conditioning. This is some of the vague stuff I remember from when I was in grad school. The optimum time between the sound of the bell and the appearance of the food was half a second. That was the optimum time. That evoked the quickest salivation in the dogs to the bell eventually. How long does it take us, I'll include myself in this, 
not being accusatory toward you. How long does it take that sound on that phone to urge you to respond? I'll bet it's half a second. You don't sit there for 32 seconds thinking, eh, I better check and see who this is. No. No, you're already in motion toward that phone. I got to fight it. I absolutely have to fight it. I had to keep reminding myself, Ray, don't send the message that whoever is on the other end of that message on that phone is more important than the person you're with. Now, am I 100% capable of doing that? I am 100% capable. Do I do it 100%? No. That sound has to be disconnected from my response. I forget how long it took the dogs to not salivate to the bell when no food was present. I don't know the average number of dings that had to occur with no food before pretty soon the bell had no power over them again. But I would wonder if the same ratio is similar to us. When that phone signal goes off, if I do not immediately either either feel the impulse to check it or actually check it, how many times would I have to do that? You know, something tells me, something tells me that those dogs are smarter than I am because they learned quick enough not to salivate to food, or I'm sorry, to the bell if no food was present. How long am, am I going to take not to salivate to the sound of that phone? I'm Dr. Ray. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. The devil will always do his best to tempt you into sin until you get to that place where you love sin. That's what he wants. He wants you down there with him. And not because he loves you, he hates you. When you do what the enemy tempts you to do, he does it out of pure hatred. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. It's been nine presidential elections that I've been on the air, and I've been watching Christians engage the culture around us. In almost every campaign year, candidates urge us to take back America. This is about as tired a phrase as you can find. And yet, with each election, the command to take back America reappears. We seem to think that America's problem that we have to correct is go back to a different idea of the budget or a different foreign policy or new regulatory reform. I'd argue that America's biggest problem is this act of idolatry that has allowed us to turn the emphasis on ordered liberty into a preoccupation with personal and individual autonomy. I'd go further and say that any attempt to take back America or make America great again that does not attack the idolatry of individual autonomy is doomed to failure. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. 
Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Ray. One of our best hopes for the eventual realization of the Brotherhood of Man. sure wish I knew how to dance to something like that. I remember when I was in high school, we had some kind of gym dances and you had to learn how to dance. I was really, really good as I sat on the bleachers and moved to the sound of the music. I wanted to convey, it was kind of like a, a dancing Rorschach. You had to look and see and interpret whether I knew how to dance or not. Of course I didn't. If I would have had to get up and use my limbs, it probably would have been pretty ugly. But on that bleachers, on that bleacher, I was pretty good. Dr. Ray, I've noticed that my adult children's friends who are getting married, both Catholic and non-Catholic, are requesting that no one under 16 attend the wedding or the reception. When I got married 34 years ago, we had a bunch of kids at our wedding and reception, and it made everything much more lively. Now, that's a word you chose there, writer. I would think that that word would... uh, <clears throat> not be the word that they would want uh, in the modern reception where no children are invited. I've also noticed my kids' friends who are married are not having kids. Where is all this anti-child bias coming from? I guess I'm just old school, but I always view my kids as a blessing. Well, let's look at this a level at a time. One of the things that is occurring with weddings and their receptions is that they are major productions. With social media, every step of the way, you're going to be shown what is coming up. You're going to be shown the dress. You're going to be shown the place where we're planning on having it. You're going to get the list of what kinds of things we'd like to have as gifts. Every step of the way leading up to the denouement of the wedding and the reception. It reminds me of the billboard that I saw, these messages from God. Loved the ceremony. Invite me to the marriage. When you have so much invested in the marital production, if you will, and I'm not talking about necessarily the mass or the ceremony, I'm talking about the reception and all that it's involved. When you have that much involved in it, you don't want anything to disrupt it. You don't want anything that would possibly take away or make it make it look kind of 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of, eh, just chaotic. That's it. You want it to be cool? You want it to be kind of proper? You want it to be very, very um, steadfast? And children are unpredictable. I mean, they can be running all over the dance floor when people are trying to dance. They can keep coming back up to the food. They can grab six cookies at a time. They do all kinds of things. They're ruining my wedding reception. I think that's part of it. I think there's another part that isn't so... Well, we have to look at ourselves on this other part. And that is, more and more children don't behave well in public. And we grown-ups have ourselves to blame. So when other people who may not have children or who have certain events that they're fearful of being disrupted by a child who may be out of control or difficult or unpleasant or uncooperative. In a way, I hesitate to say this, I can sort of understand why they would think, I don't trust these parents to control their kid. Now, one might say, come on, a reception, that's just kind of loosey-goosey. I got it. And that's the way I would look at it. But I can see from their perspective, maybe they've had enough experience with bratty kids that they're saying, this is a very special moment and day in my life, and I just don't want something to disrupt it. Which, by the way, at my wedding reception, it wasn't the kids who disrupted it, it was the adults. But that's another story. So... That's another explanation. I think the the deeper one is that people are not having children or in the numbers. That's very true. I think there's so many factors involved with that. I think it's indirectly related to less and less people look at God as central to their lives and that he values family life and the love from parent to child. I think When you start removing God from the decisions that you make, it makes sense that you become more self-centered. Why would you not? And therefore, uh, I want my life to not have to make too many sacrifices, and kids are sacrifices. You've you got to start living in a lot of respects for them now. We don't have farms. 1% of people live on farms now. We don't have farms. So you don't really need the whole family to share in the labor. You don't have that much anymore. Our culture punishes people who have more than two children. But here's another one, too, and this one is really gaining momentum. More and more young people are saying... I don't want to bring a child into this world because I don't think it's going to last. It's true. The fear put into the young people that the earth is doomed because of the way we're living is very real. You look at the surveys. Those kids are thinking, I'm not bringing a kid into this. I don't even know if the world's going to be here 20 years from now. That's, that's exactly how they're thinking. And we may look at that and say, that's nuts. But they're brainwashed about this. They truly think, this is it. It's all over. I don't know how much longer it's going to last. So I think that answers the deeper question of why 
more and more young people are not having kids. You have to value that. I saw a recent survey that said, they asked the question, which is more important to your, it was well, it was well-being or I think it was, to, life satisfaction I think is what it was. A profession that you enjoy or children. The majority of the young people said a profession you enjoy. So if that is the priority and you have a child and you don't view that child as a major blessing from God, well, it would make sense then that you're going to prefer what you would consider your own self-satisfaction. So as as our society becomes less God-focused, and more self-focused, it only follows. Why would I invite a kid into my my existence and my pursuits? Because you know that that could that could throw a wrench into the things I I want to pursue. Our pastor made an interesting observation years ago. He said he visits a lot of elderly. And they deliberately chose to have one child. Or maybe none. Or at most, two. And many of them said, one, I either have no children now to be part of my life. Or they would say, I have one son or one son and one daughter, and they both live nine states away. So I see them seldom. And he made the observation, because they were feeling very lonely, very isolated, and, and in some respects very neglected from their kids who, who learned to pursue their own lives and not worry so much about mom. And he said they made their choice when they were young. And then this is the ultimate outcome, at least in part, of that choice. He made that observation. Saw an interesting stat not so long ago. I forget what percentage, but it's extremely high, of the leaders of the various European countries who are either single or married with no children. It was it was it was sky high. It was 70, 80%, 90%. It was way up there. Which has to affect how you view not only living your own life, but how others should live theirs. Now, the fact that this particular wedding said no kids under 16. I may not do it that way. Our e-person writer may not do it that way. But they have every right to do it that way. And you can't look at them and say, you know, you're wretched, you're wrong, you don't know what you're missing, etc., etc. You can you can do that, but but you have to recognize it's their reception and they can put whatever conditions upon that reception that they want, even though we might think 
that what they want is really shortchanging the joy, the life, the livelihood of that reception. So, yeah, we're becoming a culture that uh, less and less values children. That is the reality of it all. I'm Dr. Ray. Program here is The Doctor Is In. The variant of this program is E-Person Monday. Coming back, we will, I was going to say tackle, but that's, I'll probably get a flag thrown on me for that one. Uh, we will address, that's a much more benign word, we will address more of your E-Persons. What sins should Catholics mention in confession? According to the Catechism, we are obliged to confess serious sin at least once a year. A mortal sin must be confessed and sacramental absolution received before taking communion unless there is a very grave reason for receiving communion and there is no possibility of going to confession. Confessing all the sins a penitent can remember undoubtedly places him or her before the divine mercy for pardon. If, however, a penitent knowingly withholds sins, he places nothing before the divine goodness for remission through the priest. Confessing venial sins is not strictly necessary, but is strongly urged by the Church in order to fight evil tendencies, to strengthen our conscience, and let ourselves be healed by Christ. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Thank you for listening. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. We just did our parish mission a couple weeks ago now, and I suggested that in the course of the mission that we do something like a, a little mini spiritual assessment of our lives. I don't have to show this to anybody, but a great chance for us just to, with real honesty, just between us and Jesus, ask ourselves some questions. First question, given the fact that half of Catholics don't think God is even personal, would be to ask ourselves that. Do I think God is personal? And then to ask myself, do I think a relationship with Jesus is possible? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? And if so, what's it look like? And then perhaps a little bit more awkwardly or painfully, to ask Jesus from his perspective, what's the friendship that we have with him look like? How would he describe our friendship? with him. That might be a hard conversation to have. You're the guru of the gray matter. I figured if anybody had it, you'd have the answer. Real nice to have you with me, Dr. Ray Garendi. Program Doctor is in, giving you a remedial psychological education, raising your IQ approximately 3.6 points for uh, every segment. Every segment. Used to be half a program, but I think we're picking up the pace. Real nice to have you with me. This is a co-production of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and Ave Maria Radio Communications. People ask me, do you have books? Yes, I do. Um, 
drray.com, D-R-R-A-Y.com is the website. We are we have reduced, we have dramatically reduced the prices of the books as well as the shipping. So if you want a good deal, peruse the bookstore and find which ones might help you. A lot there on Standing Strong as a Parent, a lot there on your face, Standing Strong in Your Faith. A lot there on being cool. Calm down. Don't get so upset about stuff. A lot there on looking at our Lord's ideas about living, which are perfect. And I talk about them from a psychological perspective, how he was just so far ahead of our time. So those are all at drray.com, D-R-R-A-Y.com. I have an alcoholic husband. He got into an accident. He was so drunk he ran into a tree. He should have been killed, but he survived. He's been trying to get sober now. He's been an alcoholic since he was in high school. I learned that after two months of marriage. I didn't know it. He hid it from me. I stayed with him. I've been married before. I had four girls and left their father for getting into drugs. Oh, boy. My question is this. I have a Christmas Eve party every year. My family and some from out of town. Everyone who comes over brings alcohol with them. I do not provide the alcohol. So, I don't know if I should have my husband around this alcohol. Well, is, is he trying to trying to stay sober? It's just the sight of alcohol can be very powerful, kind of a Pavlovian kind of conditioning, as I talked about in our opening monologue. So I am so undecided as to tell everyone not to drink, ooh, or to ask my husband to go over his brother's house for the night. In other words, not going to be around on Christmas Eve. Do they know that your husband has had a history of struggling with alcohol? Is that something that they either know or that he would not be resistant to you telling them? so that you could give a rationale, please bring no alcohol. Now, I suppose, I don't know the relationship you have with your relatives, could you ask them, please bring no alcohol, without explaining anything? Is that a possibility? Or are they so intent on having alcohol there? Because that's part of the party. That's what makes it enjoyable, is the all looseness that comes, comes around with having a buzz. Do you have children? Well, no, let's see, you said, uh, wait a minute, you did mention, oh, you do have children, you had four girls, so I don't know how old they are now. But could you tell them, I really don't want the alcohol around the girls? Would some of them not come because of that? Would they say, well, then we're not coming. Which is interesting because it's kind of like a parallel I'll draw to my opening monologue where whoever it is trying to reach me or whatever it is trying to reach me on the phone is more important than you. I guess what they would be saying is the alcohol is more important than you. I would hope not, but it doesn't surprise me that some might say that. 
I think the the last thing I would want is to tell my husband not to be at the party. But that's me. Uh, maybe you could talk to him. You could ask him. How do you want me to handle this? I really don't want the alcohol there. I don't want it to be anything that would tempt you. You're doing great. I'm assuming he is, by the way. Because you said he is trying to be good now. Okay, you said that. So why put that in his way? Let's go back to the example I used of Pavlov's, Pavlov's dogs, classical conditioning. They've done studies that someone who is, well, someone who has had a history of struggling with alcohol. I didn't want to say someone who is an alcoholic. I don't like that. I don't like a, a trait or a particular behavior pattern encompassing their whole personhood. But they've had a struggle with alcohol. And they're really trying to stay sober. I've read, and it makes total sense, that take a different route home if you're going to go past places that you used to frequent. Because even the neon sign, even the image can kick off a craving. Again, classical conditioning. Pairing the place, pairing the sign, pairing the route with all those times when alcohol took over. So you avoid it. So I think you're wise. And if you have, first of all, you have every right to say, please don't bring any alcohol. Every right to do that. It's your Christmas Eve party. If folks are going to get upset with you, and, and you don't want to tell them why. Let's say you don't want to embarrass your husband for anybody who doesn't know what he's been struggling with. You don't want to tell them why. And by the way, people, take this as a lesson. Many times we don't know why somebody's doing what they're doing. We just know we don't like it. But they may have a very legitimate reason that if we knew what it was, we wouldn't be upset. So in this case, you may have a thinner Christmas Eve with some of them saying, well, you don't got the, the good stuff there. I'm not sure I'm coming. It's going to be alcohol-free. What, what kind of Christmas Eve is that, huh? So I think that all enters into the mix. Discuss it with your, with your husband. See how he would like to approach this. He might surprise you. He might even say, let me handle it. I'll tell them not to bring the alcohol. I'll tell them I've been sober for... 27 days after I nearly killed myself and I could have killed someone else so sure that probably that would be the best scenario but you'd have to decide if if that's what he wishes to do I'm Dr. Ray
Father Benedict Rochelle. I must tell you that from what I observe from very young people, all of these blasphemers, all of these mockers are in for a tough time. Because the devil bites his own tail. And I find among young people a growing reverence and longing for God. I find a decline in the cynicism and skepticism around because it had to destroy itself. No one can live on being an enemy of God. It's too crazy. It's too absurd. It's too dark. It's too bleak. God is beautiful. God is holy. Why in the world mock God? The people you know and trust are on EWTN. The Heart of the Interior Life with Elizabeth Jingle. St. Ignatius of Loyola describes the challenging characteristics of spiritual desolation in the fourth rule of his 14 rules for the discernment of spirits. St. Ignatius states that finding oneself totally slothful, tepid, sad, falls within the experience of spiritual desolation. Father Timothy Gallagher writes, The adverb totally is powerful here. Ignatius applies it to three further forms of spiritual desolation. Persons in such desolation may experience themselves as entirely slothful, tepid, and sad. When a person finds themselves totally slothful, they lack spiritual vitality. When a person is tepid, they lack spiritual zeal. And when they experience a sadness connected to their life of faith, they lack interior joy. Have you asked for the grace to identify and reject spiritual desolation in your life today? For more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. sound like one of those cop shows all i picture is a pi running real hard across the street and leaping into his small convertible sports car i've often observed in the past that these guys all had like manly names magnum pi the rockford files you know you don't you don't have a kind of an easy sort of name like uh um, Benny Switzerman. You know that just doesn't. It doesn't have the same ring for a a tough PI that's kind of seen it all. This is E Person Money. I'm Dr. Ray Grandy. I thank you so much for joining me. Hello, Dr. Ray. I gave each of my grandsons, who are brothers, five hundred dollars for their graduation from college this past May. I have not received so much of any acknowledgement of receipt. What would you do besides not gifting them anything anymore? Thanks. Well, that's what I would do. Uh, You didn't give it to get a thanks. But you did give it hoping that they would show gratitude for that amount of money for a college graduation. That's a fair amount of money. 
So I don't know if you'd have any occasion. Now they're probably 22, 23 years old. Uh, if you'd have any more occasion to give them money on their birthday or, or interestingly, what would you do when they get married? Hmm. Maybe a gift, a gift that their wife could use. <laughs> That'll do it. This way you don't have to put a hundred dollars in a card. You get a, you get something that they wouldn't be interested in it at all, but was a good gift for their house or their wife or their wife. But I certainly that that to me is a definitive sign. If you can't say thank you, if you don't acknowledge it, it's not that I want you to acknowledge it. Because that's why I did it. I look at it as a sign of your gratitude and how you approach gifts and if that's it well i'm that's pretty much just cost cost you a whole bunch of money now the same woman asked me this question on your show today now this was a email that came in a while back a woman called regarding playing keyboard and you mentioned playing for the elderly in a nursing home yeah, I used to play in uh, supper clubs and places like that when I was younger, back in those days when everybody either had a piano or an organ. Now they have karaoke or sometimes groups. I've done the same thing except that I play piano for folks during lunch. Sounds cool. I've been asked to play for those in the memory care unit, and I refused Hmm. Because of my nervousness playing for people who are watching me. I've been told people enjoy this, especially the old songs I play for them. Any advice about getting past the nervous mistakes I make? Well, <laughs> most people are not musically savvy enough to recognize when you make mistakes. One of the things I got better at as I played more and more was hitting the wrong note and sliding through a rift that made it sound like the wrong note was part of the rift. <laughs> you get good at doing that. But I think this is this is the issue for you, Carol. Well, first question I have is you play for folks during lunch, so you, you already play for some audience. And I'm going to assume it's in an assisted care. So what is it about memory care that makes you so nervous that you don't want to do it? The level of awareness of memory care, the level of attentiveness of memory care is much less, much less than those in assisted living. That said, the people in memory care are much more likely to have some subconscious, some wired-in memory of those songs. I see it when I play for them. They may not be there as you would, as you would see them in terms of being able to carry on a conversation or understanding or, or so confused they're almost nonverbal. But yet the song, the song reaches into their deepest memories. It's there. It's locked in. 
and I watch their hands tap to the rhythm of the song or their feet. It's there. So, Carol, what I'm telling you is you would be giving a wonderful gift to those folks in memory care. But here's the second part of my guidance, if you will. And I can say guidance because I'm a guy. G-U-Y dance. As Christians, when you have the chance, all right, those didn't agree. As Christians, when we have the chance, plural, plural, to do something charitable. But we don't because of our comfort level, our comfort zone, to use psychobabble. We've got to ask ourselves, is that what our Lord would want me to do? You may not be all that comfortable in playing for those folks, but you know, I know you know, it's a good thing to do. So therefore, do it anyway. But Dr. Ray, I'm nervous. I guarantee you, as you play a couple of songs, the nervousness will go away. And all you have to do is see one of those folks that looks like they're completely out of it, tuning in to the songs that you play, because you're probably playing songs from when they were 25 years old, or even 20 in their courtship days. Don't ever let your comfort zone stop you from doing a charitable act that you can do because you have the opportunity and you have the ability. All the advice, none of the bills. Come in. The doctor is in. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. That idea of suffering is one of the reasons many people either turn away from God or they ignore faith altogether because they cannot comprehend or wrap their heads around suffering and all the suffering in the world. This is an issue for you, and it's, it's an issue for all of us from time to time when we go through rough situations, to say, Lord, what do you want me to learn about suffering? Ask the Lord to help you understand the meaning of suffering. God doesn't waste his time with anything. Whatever you go through, he will use if you allow him to use it. And you look at the greatest evil, right? The killing of God, Jesus, the Son of God on the cross. And what came out of that? Our salvation. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, 
Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to go back into the stack here. The stack is older. These e-persons are older than the ones on the phone. The phones are relatively more recent. This is one from a while back. Uh, let's see. She said that she... Let's see. She said your advice to the latter was spot on. Accept what is and find a worthwhile happiness and comfort on your own and don't dwell on something you cannot change it took me years to arrive at the peace that brought me in a marriage of close to 60 years she was talking about her own marriage and she she agreed with the advice i gave to the caller however here's the big but however the advice to the young couple who believe they truly care about one another and to proceed with the relationship Despite the boy's mother's concern, I found wanting. I remember that call. Um, maybe I don't. There's two possibilities of a call like that. One, they cared about each other. They're mature. They're adults. And the mother is upset for her own personal reasons. Then there are those calls where the mother calls in and said, I'm really nervous about who my son is wanting to marry. And I said, well, you're going to you're going to have to accept it eventually, because if he's not going to budge and he truly is going to marry her no matter what. And you've talked about it and you've done what you can, then you're going to have to find a way to accept her. Here's where she disagreed with me. I concluded after many years, that I definitely should have listened to my mother who did not want me to marry my husband. Okay, wait a minute now. She concluded after many years. In other words, she wasn't going to listen to her mother at the time. So my advice to her mother would have been Even though you have grave reservations about who she's marrying, if she marries that person, you got to do your best to get along with him. You got to do your best to welcome him as you can because she's married to him. You can't say, Well, I disagree with who you're marrying, and you're going to find out I will keep a nice cold distance. That does nobody any good. That's the point. Now, she's saying, looking back, I should have listened to my mother. Yeah, well, that's a very different case than uh, the mother who said, I have great reservations about my daughter or my son, and they're still going to go ahead and do it no matter what. And I said, well, then you got to accept it. And she said, well, Dr. Ray, I disagree with you because I should have listened to my mother. Well, I understand that, but this is two different situations. A nun I truly respected warned me if I did marry him, 
I'd never be happy. So she had people telling her, don't do this. But clearly, she remained married to him for 60 years, however that marriage was, and nobody could talk her out of her desire to marry him. So I'm hoping at least there was some acceptance of him. My solution, (laughs) okay, and I think her solution is one that is practiced by a number of countries, to avoiding these kinds of problems, meaning picking the wrong spouse, that can affect your life for many years, is to let your parents choose your spouse. And Dr. Ray, this is where you laugh. Well, it kind of depends upon your parents' judgment, isn't it? I stand by it, Dr. Ray, with qualifications. If they are responsible, loving, God-fearing, reasonable people, then listen to them seriously. Very seriously. Even if it means halting a relationship and you think you can't do it, you will live to thank them profoundly. She is speaking, apparently, from her own very deep experience. She was told, you marry that person, it's not going to be a pleasant marriage. And she was of the mindset, I'm going to do what I want. I'm a young person. I can marry him. But then she found out later in the marriage she had her regrets. And she said, I should have listened to him. Well, of course. But you didn't. So that's the difference between the parent who says, I've tried everything I can to talk my son or my daughter out of this relationship that they seem absolutely intent on pursuing no matter what I say, no matter what I do. And then I say, well, then you're going to have to accept. Now, I think she might be saying, no, keep telling him you don't approve, keep telling him you don't approve, keep telling him you don't approve, all the way up to the wedding day, I guess. And then after the wedding day, do you stop saying it on proof? I think she's speaking from experience that she learned after years. By the way, uh, in much of human history, the parents did choose the spouses. But we've become a culture that says the number one thing to marry a person is this feeling we call love. There are the other factors, partners in life, good person, sometimes they, they physical attraction, they, they, they are not, well, physical attraction goes with the, with the feeling of love, but they are not the main motives anymore. And so as a result, You have a lot of these situations where I look back and should have listened to someone, but I didn't. I'm Dr. Ray, and I thank you so much for joining me here on this E-Person Monday. Good Lord permit, and tomorrow we get a chance to talk with you back and forth, you and I. Appreciate it, the company. Walk with God. That's something that, well, that's something that even a lot of people wouldn't approve of you doing. But that's something you do whether they want you to or not. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. 
The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.